the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you've tuned in to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're grateful that you did. Uh, We're here to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions or life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send your questions in. If you're driving in your car, remember the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature of your phone with the KSLR, the free KSLR mobile app. And you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, our main number is 340-9585. I get the privilege tonight of teaching Isaiah chapter 62. It's fun. It's, you know, Isaiah, was, it's been hard. We've been in a long time. And there's so much whoa, whoa, whoa uh, is uh, typically true of all the prophets. But Isaiah is so long, so much repetition. So when you get to the end of the book, and you're in the millennial reign, and things are as they are supposed to be, it's really thrilling. And tonight's study is one of those studies which has a lot of great practical application for Christians. So you can watch that live stream at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock if you are so inclined. Better than that, we'd invite you to come because um, we always have a lot of room, especially in December on our Wednesday night studies, and we'd love to have an opportunity to minister to you and with you in person. Well, let's get right to questions. The phones have been really quiet this week. I was telling our producer yesterday, I think, oh, I think this is what December is like when people are really busy. But remember, the program is more interesting when you call. Here's an anonymous question to start off with. It says, uh, I want to be married, but have been single a long time. What should I do? Um, anonymous, you know, I... Uh, you don't say whether you're male or female. Um, but one of the things to, to understand is marriage is a good thing. should be honored by all. We know that from from uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, we also know from Ephesians chapter 5 that uh, uh, Paul deals a lot of, uh, spends a lot of his time on the the issue of marriage. So it's a good thing. So when you have a desire to be married, that's a desire that's been placed there by the Lord. And he's not going to trick you. He's not going to pull the rug out for him and say, got you. He, he's, he's put that desire in your heart. So um, what you should do then is prepare to be married. Let me explain. I believe after having seen so many cases over the years of people coming together in Christ, I've, I've, I've ministered to counsel with a lot of people in your situation. They feel like they're going to be 
uh, forever. Uh, they're going to be single, and, and I just am so lonely. And I tell them, look, God is preparing a spouse for you, and he's preparing you for that spouse. So the thing to do is let him prepare you. So if you want to be married, but you've been single, here's what you do. You say, Lord, prepare me for the man or the woman that you have for me. Prepare me to rightly represent you. You see, you can't go into a marriage because you're lonely. You go into a marriage because there's somebody you can share your life with, share your heart with, and the, the two of you can serve the Lord together. So it can't be about you. And I think a lot of the times uh, people are so focused on their own needs that when somebody comes along, they put so much pressure on that relationship that I just don't think that the relationship can stand it. So let God prepare you. How, does, how do you do that? Well, you do it first and foremost uh, in your time with the Lord, your time in the Word, your time in prayer. Be more and more like Jesus. You know, Anonymous, and this isn't you because you don't indicate this in your question at all, but, but I see so many people, and when I say people, I'm talking primarily about younger adults, who spend their time looking for someone or, or, or trying to find somebody online, that all they have to do is let God prepare them. You know, this is an issue of faith to a degree. Do, do you trust that God, if you're following him, will lead you to the person that he has waiting for you? And if you do, then, then you don't try so hard on your own to find something. So trust the Lord, be patient, but spend your time serving the Lord. Spend your time getting to know him better and better and better. And one day you'll look up and there he or there she will be. Let me say one other thing about this, and it's not directly related to your question. But um, for the life of me, I don't know why it's considered unspiritual to look for a spouse in church. There's no better place to look for a husband or wife. I mean, you get to look at their walk with the Lord close up and personal. You get opportunities in, in non-intimate settings to talk to them and make a friend. You, you get to see how they minister to other people. You get to see if, if their heart is a heart that, that wants to serve or a heart that wants to be served. I had somebody tell me not long ago, but Pastor Ron, that's an unspiritual reason to come to church. No, it's not. This is the best possible place. Certainly better than a dating app. Certainly better than trying to run into somebody on your own. Just let God do the choosing. If you trust him, you really believe that this is the desire that he's put in your heart, then let him lead you to that man or to that woman that he has waiting for you. He's preparing you for the person that he is preparing for you. I hope that makes sense. It's really important. But God wants you to be married. If you want to be married, just follow Jesus and you'll find yourself one day at the right place, at the right time, and your heart will be smitten. Here's a question from Terry. He said, I saw on YouTube testimonies from Muslims about being visited in dreams by Jesus before they convert. Are those dreams real? Terry, yeah, I don't have any reason um, to believe they're not real. There's certainly biblical precedents for uh, Jesus appearing to people in visions and in dreams. Uh, the thing that I love the most about those testimonies is that it demonstrates just how far God will go to meet with somebody. Now, here's something to consider. In many countries in this world, for a Muslim to convert to Christianity, or to anything else for that matter, uh, but, but for a Muslim to convert, would, would be a death sentence. And so Jesus deals with people in those circumstances differently than they would deal with you and me. Terry, you and I aren't risking anything to come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're risking their lives, and, and Jesus will appear to them um, because he knows they need to know that this is the real deal. Now, he protects them for the most part. Um, their families, uh, it's still true in the Middle East now, but certainly in Jesus' day, he said, 
He said, I've come to set a father against his sons, a father uh, against his mother, uh, you know, just a father against his wife. He's, he's come to separate families. But the idea here is that these Muslims risking so much, God meets them where they need to be met. And for them to take this courageous step of faith and, and say, okay, Jesus, I renounce my Muslim faith. And I believe in you. I ask you to come into my heart. When they get born again, they got to know it's the real deal. And I think God is really up front in showing them that. So I don't have any reason to believe that those dreams are not real or they're not being truthful. Um, I just think that uh, it's a wonderful statement about how far God is willing to go to chase us, to provide us uh, with an opportunity to know who he really is. Hope that helps, Terry. Thanks very much. Be careful generally, for all of you, be careful generally of the stuff you see on YouTube. I get, um, I'm guessing, probably 10 referrals a week. Pastor Ron, do you see this guy on YouTube? And I'll check it out. And it's just horrible stuff. Uh, There's some good stuff there for sure, but there's also some really bad stuff. So don't be swayed by the, the, the social media presence that people have. 340-9585. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, Romans thirteen says that Christians are to submit to government authorities. Is it wrong, for example, for believers in Hong Kong to rebel against their government? Um, you know, normally anonymous, we we consider Romans thirteen uh, and apply it in our own country. You know, we live in a country where it's going to be more and more difficult to submit to our governing authorities in matters where what they tell us to do conflict with what God tells us to do. But it's interesting, that the example used in Hong Kong, because you've got people fighting for freedom, and fighting for freedom is never the wrong thing. It's never the wrong thing. I have a little tiny bit of a vested interest in what's going on in Hong Kong because my son uh, has a business or works for a business uh, that has uh, their headquarters in Hong Kong, and he takes a lot of trips there throughout the year. And, you know, it's kind of scary not knowing uh, what he's going into. And and uh, the the government, is, is the Chinese government is starting to crack down now, and the, the, the protesters are, are spreading out now simply because uh, of the danger involved. But I don't think it's ever wrong to uh, fight for freedom. You know, our country was started. Our nation was was uh, started with a, with a rebellion against England. And uh, they rebelled against the king. They were fighting for freedom. Now, I guess you could take a um, sort of a narrow view of Romans 13 and says, no, that means that we need to to let the government do whatever government's going to do. But remember, when somebody's trying to enslave you, Jesus has come to set us free. And so I think that, that, that that's probably not sin. I also think that what we do in those protests or in those rebellions is important. It doesn't give us a license to sin just because we want to be free. Um, Christians are to submit to the authorities except in the cases where the authorities are telling them to do things that God forbids. And then we got to have a sin. You remember in the early book of Acts, when uh, after 3,000 were saved one day, 5,000 a couple of days later were saved, and those are just the numbers of men that got saved, um, the religious leaders, those in authority over Jerusalem, they came out and told Peter and James and John and the others, you are not to teach in this man's name again. I don't want to hear the name. And Peter, who also has a passage about submitting to the governing authorities, he said this, well, you decide for yourself whether it's right for us as followers of Christ to obey you or to obey God. And then he summed it up by saying, as for me, we cannot stop sharing this name. So yeah, we need to submit But at the same time, we remember that our real king is King Jesus. Very, very important. Can I say one other thing about this? Um, One of the things that we need to remember, always remember, is that 
when we are asked to do something, we have to do it in a way that honors Jesus in everything that we do. We have to make sure that our agenda is the same as his. And when it's something that we want to do, we've got to really remember to deny our flesh. He also says in the word that governing authorities are there to do right by the people. And I think there's sort of a theme that runs through the Old Testament that indicates that we get the kind of government we deserve. Certainly that's the case in the world that we live in now. Everybody wants freedom from God. And the apostasy is everywhere. And so God gives us a non-functional government. We still have to be good citizens. My last comment on this, Anonymous, is Peter and Paul, when they wrote their passages on submitting to the governing authorities, that authority was Caesar Nero. Surely a demon-possessed man, one of the most wicked men who's ever lived in the history of the world. I hope that helps. Anonymous says, I don't have a local church, but I've set aside my tithes. What is biblical and appropriate for tithing in this situation? Um, anonymous, a couple of things. One, um, and I, I don't know you, obviously, so don't take this personal, but to not have a local church is rebelling against God's plan for your life. I know that's not what you asked, but we need to be a part of a local body. That's where God wants us to use the gifts that he's given us. It's where there are people who will be able to minister to you. So you need a local church. I won't preach at you. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. And that's not a general, well, I get together with other Christians thing. It's a be involved, be a part of a local church. You need to be active serving a church. Okay, you've set aside your tithes, your your offerings to the Lord. Um, find ministries that are blessing you and give to them. Uh, find uh, people in your life that need help. Um, you know, I, I say all the time on this program that if you know a single mom, that's somebody who needs help. Let some of that money go uh, for situations like this. Um just be sure, and I appreciate your faithfulness and set aside money for God, notwithstanding you use the word tithe, and tithing is not a New Testament concept. But what you're offering to the Lord, He will give you direction. If you'll just spend some time with Him, if you'll be in the Word, uh, He'll give you some direction. But but if there are some ministries, uh, television or radio ministries, uh, if, if there are people, as I said, that, that you know who are hurting, um, Give the money in the name of Jesus. Not looking for anything in return, just give the money in the name of Jesus and be a blessing to other people. But please, 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 hear my heart on this. I'm not um, um, condemning you for this, but you need to be a part of a local church, period. And you need to serve that church. You need to have an investment in that church. Don't just go and don't just sit. Be involved. I promise you that's the way our light shines the brightest so that God can use us. 340-9585. Here is a question from another anonymous question. We had a lot of anonymous ones today. Um, anonymous says, You often tell us to take the Bible literally, yet you seem to pick and choose which parts we take literally and which parts we don't. I am thinking of the Sabbath commandment. Uh, Anonymous, what you really have to do is be a student, a workman rightly dividing the Word of God. As it relates to the Sabbath, can you find any place in your Bible where it speaks of a Gentile or a New Testament Christian and tells us to worship God on the Sabbath? You can't find it because it doesn't exist. The Sabbath was given to Israel and over and over. And this is something that, that 
that people miss all the time, and I never really understand why they miss it. But it's just the Holy Spirit's going out of his way, tripping over himself to make sure we get it. To Israel, he said, to them, the Jews, he gave the tablets with the commandments. And, and all throughout the first five books of the Bible, the distinction is made when God is speaking regarding to whom he's speaking and if you miss that context, you're going to be goofy. I'm taking it literally. To Jews, God literally said, honor him on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. It's a day that belongs to the Lord. It's, it's an offering. But, but see, that's not something you were told. In the New Testament, and I can take this literally as well, Paul tells us to esteem all days the same. If we esteem all days the same, every day is a Sabbath for us. Hebrews chapter 4 speaks about Jesus being our Sabbath rest. It doesn't take a Bible scholar to look at the book of Acts and see that the first century church established Sunday as a day of corporate worship in honor of the resurrection. I had a call on this program a couple weeks ago. Somebody said, yeah, but they always went to synagogue. But you see, they went to synagogue on the Sabbath. And the reason they did so was because they were trying to convert Jews to Christianity. So you take it literally everywhere you can take it literally. But you're not rightly dividing the word if you think there's ever a place in your Bible where it tells the church or Gentiles, non-Jews, to worship on the Sabbath. It is to Jews and Jews alone. And that ought not to be even something that someone can, can find an argument with. So just open your Bible. Just open your Bible. I will say this, there are places that you cannot take the Bible literally, especially in the poetic books. You know, when the psalmist says that the trees of the field clap their hands, we know that they're not literally because trees don't have hands. When it talks about God the Father and the, the blast from his nostrils, well, we know God is spirit. He's not in human form, the Father. And so he doesn't have a nose. There's no nostrils. So that's figurative language. It's poetic language. And it really is very simple to understand when the literal application works best and when it's figurative or, or, or symbolic. And if you, again, read in context, Anonymous, then you're going to find yourself in a place where then you can rightly divide the word. Uh, study to show yourself approved. Throw away all of your notions. You know, when I first got saved, Anonymous... Uh, every time I'd open the Bible, I would say, okay, Lord, if I'm wrong about something, change my mind. I, I never wanted to go in with the preconceived ideas. The beginning especially, I had so many questions. And I would think one day I found an answer, and so the next day I would, I'd open the Bible again and say, okay, Jesus, show me if I'm wrong. Show me what's right. And he was faithful to do that. Now, when you find something that's right, you don't throw it away. You hold on to it, because if it's true, it's always going to be true. But really, really study. Find a, a hermeneutic that works. That's the, the, the science of interpretation. In this case, biblical interpretation. And then you can know what to take literally and what not to take literally. One other common anonymous, and then we'll get ready for our break. We'd love your calls in the second half of the program at 340 9585. Um, there are also references in our New Testament to things that Paul or Peter, the others were speaking to, that were strictly cultural. Uh, the letters to Corinth, especially the first letter, um, talking about the, 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 the head coverings and um, some of the, the instruction because they were carnal and doing things out of control. Um, the cultural applications are equally clear. 
And then there are applications for us, but certainly not the legalistic requirement to have head coverings. Certainly women don't have to remain silent in the church. They're free to worship. They're free to pray. So you need to be a student of your Bible, Anonymous. So take the Bible literally every time you can. But when you can't, then dig in and find out what the symbolic value of the passage is. Good question. Hope it helps. Here is, do I have time for one? Where are we? Don't have time? Okay, we got one minute left. So I won't take another question. Um, I'll remind you again, uh, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. She missed last Thursday because she was busy cooking turkey for me. But she will be here, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock. So ladies, it's a day that we set aside especially for you. If you need any encouragement, that is your opportunity. Uh, for um, the rest of you tonight, I'm going to be teaching at Isaiah chapter 62, the glorious promises of God in the millennial reign. You want something to look forward to? That's really something you can look forward to. We've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes today, 340-9585 for your calls and questions. Here's a question from William. He says, we live in an increasingly hostile world toward Christians. How can we be prepared for the trials that are in our future? William, there's uh, there's no easy way to be prepared. I I always tell our church here that God will prepare them for every trial they're going to encounter if we let him prepare us. The problem is that most of us are spiritually lazy and we don't let God prepare us. So here's how you and how I can be prepared for the trials that are in our future. I think we've got to fall in love with the Bible. I think we've got to decide once and for all. And I'm a big once and forever kind of decision guy. We've got to decide once and for all that the Bible means what it says. And any deviation from that is rebellion against God. We've got to trust God to be with us in those trials. And we've got to spend time in His presence. We've got to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit every single day. Because if we're not then the enemy is going to use those kind of trials to absolutely destroy us. So that's how important it is. You've got to decide, as Joshua's, for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. It's got to be a decision that you make once, got to make it now, because when the trial comes, if you haven't made that decision once for all, then you're going to renege on that decision. And, and you're going to be in the heat of the moment. Uh, We just need to be ready. Being a Christian has been really easy in the United States of America. It's not going to be anymore. And we've got to understand that's just the way it is. We don't need to complain about not having any rights. We don't need to complain about um, all the things going wrong in our world. What we need to realize is that rebellion against God, darkness, gives us an opportunity to really shine our light And the biggest moves of God's Spirit happen in the darkest of places. Hope that helps. Let's go to the phones. We've got a couple phone calls holding. Let's go first to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I was reading, I was kind of curious about when the first actual animal sacrifice was performed and then when it was on a regular basis, and I'm guessing Exodus uh, when they had the uh, when they made the tabernacle was when they were having the regular sacrifices, but that wasn't really my question because what happened was I started to read in Genesis to see if I could see when the first sacrifice was, 
And then I came across the scripture where it says in verse 2 of Genesis, chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 23, says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she's taken out of man. But then you go over to chapter 3, and that's when, the, when they ate the fruit and the fall happened. She didn't even get a name until verse 20 of chapter 3 says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And I was just kind of curious. All the animals got names before. They, she didn't even get her name till after the fall. So I'm thinking, what, did he just say, hey, woman, whenever he wanted to talk to her? <laughs> <laughs> so that's good, kind of where that question, led me, um, trying to find out about the sacrifices. So I'll, mm. I'll get off the phone and let you talk about this. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, it, it's a good question, um, uh, but we have to remember that at the beginning especially, uh, there was no one else to talk to. So when Adam was talking to Eve, there was no question. He didn't have to call her by name or anything. Um, we also have no comprehension of what it's like in an unfallen world. Um, it is likely, and, and this is just me speculating. Um, I say all the time, my opinion is no better than anybody else's. But uh, it's likely that they didn't need to talk out loud. Before the fall, covered by the glory of God, just like in heaven, we won't need to talk. We'll just know. And we can't describe what that is, but that's what it would have been like in Eden before the fall. But Cindy, let me address this other thing, though, because I think this is important. The very first sacrifice in the Bible comes right after the fall. Remember when God said, Adam, Adam, where art thou, Adam? And Adam said, I'm over here in the corner. I'm hiding from you um, because we ate from the, the tree. Or the Lord said, you ate from the, the forbidden tree. Um, and they tried to cover their nakedness. They, they saw that they were naked. That's the glory departing. They saw that they were naked. And God basically said, hey, the fig tree isn't going to cut it. I got a whole thing that I, I like to talk about with a fig tree. It shows the insanity of sin. I've got a fig tree in my backyard. And believe me, you don't want those hard, ugly leaves touching your private part. And yet that's what they were trying to do. The next time we see them, in Genesis, we see their nakedness is now covered with an animal skin. And so the prototype sacrifice, the very first one, was when that first animal had to die. Imagine what horror that would have been in, in, in what was nearly a perfect world. Imagine the horror of an animal bleeding out, an animal screaming, the sounds and the feel of that, that death. That was the first sacrifice. And then the prototype, of course, would follow through the rest and following the law of Moses a very, very long time later. Then there were rules and, and uh, regulations regarding the sacrifices. Good question, Cindy. Thank you. Let's go to Jeff holding on line two. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Hi, Jeff. Or, or should I say St. Ron? I like the sounds of that. St. Ron. St. Paula, St. Sam, St. Ken. Another reason to love the Arbaugh is you got a fig tree in the backyard. I guess people line up to get get some of those figs. Can't eat them all yourself. Well, Paula is the fig person in our in our family. Uh, but honestly, the first uh, a, a family came and planted it when we weren't there, and it's grown. It's got like leaves. It's like Jesus's fig tree that he cursed. There were no figs in it. But the last two seasons, we've had it. I guess for probably seven or eight years. The last two seasons, it's been pretty full of figs, and Paula's been really happy about it. So, mm-hmm. who, who got the last helping of of stuffing on Thursday? Did they have the arm wrestle for it, or did someone just just get it? I'm ashamed to admit, Jeff, that stuff. I got I got my last portion of the stuffing last night. So we're, I'm still eating stuffing. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Turkey's gone, but the stuffing is there. uh, I like that first question you had uh, about uh, getting married. And uh, Veronica and I met in church. And uh, it just couldn't have been a better place for either one of us. And it really 
you know, really showed us that, you know, the, the purpose of our our marriage was to was to serve God, and you know, there was no no questions about that. But we we came from kind of uh, kind of difficult situations, and um, uh, we when we sensed that we uh, had some feelings for each other, we went together to our pastor to talk about that, and stayed in counseling with him for almost three years until God took oh, wow. breaks off and allowed us to get married. But the <laughs> accountability with 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 the church was was so helpful. And it helped us to stay on, really stay on track. And you know, Satan and the, and, and really wanted to disrail us many times. Um, but I wanted to share with you: we're going to Mexico on Saturday, and that shooting that happened last week was just about forty-five minutes from where we do most of our work. Okay. So we have a lot of friends that are calling us and saying, "You don't want to go down there?" And we're like, "What do you mean we don't want to go down there? Of course we want to go down there. It's more important to go down there now." And when there's not violence, and um, we're bringing about a hundred blankets down to uh, uh, a refuge for immigrants down there on the Mexican side, and another church has brought us 150 gift bags for children, uh, but they're afraid to take them down, so they've asked us to distribute them, which we will. But you know, Christ, um, walking into into you know the middle, like in Luke, Luke 17. Uh, who was the uh, the leper that he healed? Was a Samaritan. On top of that, mm-hmm. the Samaritan that came back and said thank you. Jeff, I think a um, 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 couple of things. I'm, I'm going to ask you for prayer too. Uh, uh, but uh, we've had experience. You know, Reynosa, the, the border here at McAllen, um, is one of the most violent places on earth. And mm-hmm. we've had a bunch of outreaches every year there, and the question always comes up: uh, well, "Well, is it safe?" Well, you know, Jesus is there, but that for their service to the Lord from the very beginning of time. And um, yep. what we have to do individually is we we've got to pray. It, it's it's if God yep. tells you to go, you got to go. Um, those whose faith is not quite strong enough to make the trip, they're just a little bit too afraid. We pray for them, but we don't make them feel like they're, they're, they're a failure or anything. We just let them know that, look, we're going to go because we believe God told us and there's no other place for us to go. Um, Amen. And we'll be praying for you. It, it's just that simple. Um, we, we've, we've planted churches in Reynosa, um, in Durango. Uh, we are going to plant a church in Michoacan, which I'll talk about a, a little bit more in a minute. Um, and every time there's the possibility that something's going. We had a, a bunch of our ladies go down the last few years uh, to conduct a women's retreat uh, for the ladies at the church we planted uh, in Reynosa. And, um, you know, there's, there's armed guards everywhere, and you can tell that it's a dangerous place. The tensions are always high, but, but uh, the truth is God blessed them abundantly. He met them with abundant grace and powerful, effective ministry, and none of the women who ever went would would refuse to go again. That's how important it is. Jeff, uh, because we have a connection with Mexico, uh, let me also ask you for prayer. Uh, our, our pastor, Chris, um, is going yes. to be leaving. They, they've, they sold their house. Uh, he is going to be leaving. Oh. He and Elvira are going to be leaving in January. I think January the 13th is when they're they're scheduled to head out. And, wow, that's uh, coming establish, up. Yep, they're going to establish a, a, a church from scratch in Michoacan. They've had a uh, an audience uh, via our live streams uh, for over a year now, and there's a good following mm. already there in Michoacan. And of course, Michoacan, like the rest of Mexico, can be dangerous, but uh, this is a move that God has had in the works for several years, and it's just now time. Uh, so I would ask everybody in the audience to pray for Pastor Chris Garcia, his wife Elvira, and absolutely, um, um, it, it's a, it's a, a, we hate to see Chris go. You know, it always seems like when when God is doing a, a, a an important work, He takes some of my best, <laughs> and and you know I'd like to have Pastor Chris here forever, and and uh, uh, but you know it's it's what He was born to do, 
and they're getting ready to leave. So everybody, I'd, I'd appreciate your prayers for the work in Michoacan. Uh, it will be, I think, our 32nd church that we've planted in our 24 and a half years here. And um, I'm excited for him. Uh, I'm going to miss him terribly, but I'm excited for him. And maybe on one of your Pastor, trips, Pastor, another a little comment bit farther real south. Quick. Go ahead. Um, if, if you ever read, like, uh, Vo- Voices of Mar- the Voice of Martyrs, that ministry, mm-hmm. you really want to see uh, missionaries and pastors that are persecuted uh, the, the articles that they put out, the stories are just almost unfathomable, you know, compared to the culture that we live in. We, we, we have no, it seems like we have no concept of what real sacrifice is for the sake of the gospel. And, and we've been in the faith, we've, we've encountered some really vulnerable situations in the years that we've been down there and praise God that we've, we've not been attacked or robbed or anything. But there are missionaries all over the place that, that stay firm. You know, we all say we've got General Jesus with us. What else do we need? And um, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's just uh, it's it's so important that uh, we just continue to do this work because he's equipped us to do it. And, and it's a calling for some, and it's a calling for others to, to support ministries. You know, maybe they can't actually go down, but they can certainly pray. So, anyway, well, thank, thank you. You have a great afternoon, Pastor. Yeah, too. God, God bless you. We'll be praying for your your trip down there. You know, earlier um, I had a question: um, What can we do to prepare for a hostile world? Uh, and and I said, you've got to make the decision that that we're, we'll lay our lives down for Jesus Christ. That seems so foreign. In this nation, but I want everybody in the audience to think when, well, that's just not fair. Why would God ask us to do that? I want you to think about those Coptic Christians that were beheaded on a beach by ISIS some time ago. Um, uh, All they had to do was deny their faith and they would have been spared. Um, But they refused to do that. That's the kind of commitment. I had somebody actually had the nerve to ask me, well, do you think they're really saved? I mean, the Orthodox Church or the Coptic Christians, you know, they've got some things wrong. I can promise you that as their heads were separated from their bodies, they were received with great joy and fanfare in heaven because they laid their lives down. Isn't it interesting, Western Christians who never have any trials, comparatively speaking, they will pick at the doctrine of somebody when they themselves aren't willing to sacrifice much at all for the Lord. Men who let, let their lives go to honor Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. In the Great Tribulation, that's how it's going to be. It's going to cost you your life to say yes to Jesus Christ. So maybe we American Christians need to toughen up. Jeff, I appreciate the call very, very much. Here is a question from Jordan. Um, Pastor Ron, is the prosperity gospel heresy? Jordan, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. It is heresy. It is a heresy that damages people's lives, destroys their faith, rips at the very fabric of what Jesus delivered, the truth once and for all delivered for the saints. It is heresy. Now, we go to places like this, the biggest church in our country, The biggest attendance every weekend is right here in Texas. And people go because they don't really care about Jesus. They care about themselves. And they find some nice guy who's going to tell them that God wants their best life now. God wants them to be rich and he wants to bless you. And That's a heresy. So Jordan, stay away from it. Um, make a decision once and for all. It simply isn't true. The only people to get rich uh, with the prosperity gospel are those who are peddling it to the poor people who are supporting them. Here is an anonymous question. What is the difference between same-sex attraction and homosexuality? Um, I, I think, I think the, the difference is, is reasonably negligible. Um, same-sex attraction simply means that you're attracted to someone of another sex, but you can be attracted to someone. We live in a fallen world. 
You can be attracted to someone of the same sex and not act on that temptation. Homosexuality, the lifestyle of homosexuals, is a lifestyle that is continually, rebelliously sinning against God. So, spiritually speaking, the difference is denying your flesh. Jesus said to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross daily. You've got to deny yourself. It means you've got to die. We, we die to us so we can say yes to him. We die to him so we can live for him. He says, pick up the cross, an instrument of execution, and follow me, Jesus said. Well, the man and the woman who has same-sex attraction needs to set their heart and their mind and their eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. They need to stay so close to him because this is a temptation that the enemy is going to use to try to destroy them, to destroy any possibility of doing any ministry for the Lord. And the man and the woman who freely engages a homosexual lifestyle, they're actively having sex with people from the same gender or with the people of the same gender. Um, Those are people that the Bible says will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, generally speaking, the difference between just having same-sex attraction and saying no and an active homosexual life is the difference between heaven and hell. You know, Anonymous, you asked this question, and this is a question, obviously, in the day that we live in, the time that we live in. Um, I get asked all the time, not just on this radio program, but in church, why are you Christians so focused on homosexuality? It's because we want people to go to heaven. Now, we're not focused only on homosexuality. At my church, I speak more about heterosexual couples who are living together or having sex outside of marriage. But we've got to, here's one of those once and for all decisions, we can decide who we stand with and who we stand for. And you simply can't embrace a homosexual lifestyle and love, love the people that you are embracing. You just can't. You're condemning them to an eternity separated from God. So this is an issue that is huge. And we got to decide that we're going to do the right thing all of the time, even when the world around us condemns us because of it. We've only got about four minutes left, a little over four minutes left in this program. So let me take a question from Isaac. He says, is F.B. Meyer a recommended teacher? And are there any others that you can suggest? Um, Isaac, I like F.B. Meyer. Uh, yeah, I, I would uh, recommend him heartily. Uh, but there's a lot of them. I love John Phillips, um, Ray Steadman. Um, I haven't read him as much lately. Um, um, Griffith Thomas. Um, there, there are just so many. Warren Wearsby. Um, um, I was recommending yesterday to somebody who's called to teach uh, the New International um, Commentary series uh, of the New Testament. The F. F. Bruce is the general editor. Um, it's an amazing resource. That was a little bit pricey, and it's very scholarly. Um, but you know, if you're going to rightly divide the word, you've got to really be willing to dig in. So there are just so many that are good. But F. B. Meyer is one that you can read. Uh, without reservation, um, he's just one of those guys that uh, is is rock solid. Um, let me let me suggest another one uh, for you. Uh, uh, William H. Newell, N E W E L L. Isaac, he is a guy who's now with the Lord. Uh, he's one of those faith giants that believed that God was going to reestablish Israel in their homeland when the rest of the world, including Christian world, said, no, that's impossible. Jesus must be speaking figuratively. Uh, he said, nope, God said it, and I believe it. But that's the way he approaches um, uh, his commentaries, and, and in particular his commentaries on Hebrews and uh, in Revelation are wonderful, wonderful resources for any Christian. So there's a whole bunch of them, Isaac, that are really, really good. Let me recommend another one that's easy and not so cheap, but but great, great application. Um, and that is, um, the name just escaped me. 
why would I read them all the time? I'll, I'll think of it in just a minute. I'll, I'll get it back to you when I can. So, Isaac, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. I, I just, I got my mind back, Isaac. It's Alan Redpath is the one that I'm speaking of. I've got his whole series sitting here in my office. And uh, I don't know why my brain faded. I guess Paula always says, you know, it's not going to get any better at our age. So uh, that's what we ought to do. Um, here's the last question for today on this program. Uh, it's from Gabe. He says, does God have to send people to hell in order to show his love and glory? How else can you explain the need to send people to hell? Gabe, you don't understand or you don't want to understand um, the foundation of this whole question. Uh, we are all going to live somewhere forever. It's not a matter of if we're going to live forever, it's where we're going to live forever. And we are going to live forever in heaven. We call, or With God, we call that heaven. And we're going to live separate from God. We call that hell. And of course it brings God glory to bring people to heaven. But he's also a holy, just God. So the people that reject Jesus Christ, which is God's only answer for sin, they're the ones, Gabe, that are choosing hell on their own. So this isn't God needing to send people to hell. It's God honoring the choice they make in this world. Of the program tomorrow. This has been the word to stand up for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock on AM six thirty. The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at four, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.